The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. I'm delighted we're joined for the Culture Club today by Sharon Corr, who, of course, multi-instrumentalist, member of the Corrs. She had a solo album out eight years ago, The Same Son, and she has now come along with a follow-up, The Fool and the Scorpion. Uh, Sharon, thank you very much for taking the time to join us here on The Last Word in Today FM. Eight years, that's quite a gap between albums. What was the reason for that? Well, I know, I mean, it's kind of, I think it's a question that many... Um, artists get asked. I mean, you do have to write an album in the meantime, so that can take some time. Um, but I think, you know, I released the same song um, and then I toured for a couple of years after that on that record. Um, and then I started writing this new album in 2015. And I wrote the last song, which was The Fool and the Scorpion in 2019. Um, the thing I suppose was I'd expected to release it earlier, but then we had the pandemic, which kind of put us two years behind in everything. Um, so, so that's why there's the enormous gap, you know. And did you record it during the pandemic or afterwards? No, it was already recorded and ready to go. So I had, uh, I had recorded in, uh, wait, let's see, late 2019 in September in Los Angeles. And are you hoping to tour it now? Oh, absolutely. I'm actually flying to Berlin tomorrow uh, to do a show and to promote the record because it's coming out on the 24th, so it's out this week. Um, and I then go to Paris to promo and also do a show there. And how much are you looking forward to that, to doing live performances? Well, I mean, it's my heaven, you know, uh, which is one of the things I really missed most uh, during the, the lockdown. Um, apart from, you know, fresh air, but uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, I've already done uh, seven shows here in Madrid this summer. So in July, I did seven shows uh, and it was just pure joy to get back to music, to be there with the audience and uh, to have that beautiful live experience, the sort of joy of playing, the intensity of it. Um, I mean, it really just sort of, it makes me kick and I really... Uh, I just love being in, in conversation with the audience. I love it. You mentioned Spain. You live there now, don't you? How was lockdown in Spain? Because they were fairly strict, weren't they, during 2020 mm-hmm. because of the enormous fatalities that the country experienced? Yeah, we had, uh, I mean, the way we experienced it was, I suppose, around March 11, 12, 13th. I was hearing a lot of stuff from my friends in Italy. I work with a couple of musicians in Italy and I was you know, getting an idea from them of, you know, what was going on, because, you know, we were seeing it in the papers, but they were telling me, you know, firsthand, basically saying to me, be prepared, this is coming, you know, and I suppose you don't really ever realise until it hits your door, you know, it's that type of thing you have to experience, and unfortunately, we've all had to experience it. I don't know, I, I tried to take the positive out of it, and some days I couldn't, so I went, okay, this is a negative day, go with it. So, I mean, kind of similar experience to most people. I spent, a, I spent a shed load of time on FaceTime and, you know, with my family as well. We really kept in, in great touch during the experience. You know, we all experienced it on different levels at different times. Indeed. OK, look, let's hear a little bit uh, from your new album, The Fool and the Scorpion. Uh, this is a single Free Fall. Uh, we'll have a little bit of this. It's coming out on Friday. Free fall, shotgunning to the ground and I am crystal illusion 
slipping through your hand Shattered on the floor You won't put me back together like before Not like before Cause I am broken, I am cure I am so messed up, I'm nearer to the truth Than ever before I am real, I am spinning, I am out of control I'm singing and I'm dancing on the roof I'm dancing on the roof Oh, 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 oh get out of my head Oh, 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 when will it end? Oh, 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 get out of my head Okay, that's a single free fall Having been part of the chorus, yeah. one of the biggest bands in the world in its time, how much do you enjoy now performing, writing for yourself and performing as a solo artist? Well, I've been enjoying that for, for many, many, many years now. It's just been an integral part of who I am. Um, I, I like the, the, the purity of expression and you know, complete expression of yourself. I also really enjoyed expressing with the chords that you get sort of you know, get four people, but it's probably each person more diluted in that aspect. But but then there's this sort of the greater, you know, there's this great magic between the three those between the four of us that creates something almost bigger than ourselves. Um, I like the sort of unbridled opportunity of of full self-expression. Um, and just to follow my own musical path because you know, we grew up in the same house, but we do actually have different musical tastes and we lean towards you know, different things that uh, I would, you know, very much lean towards uh, Joni Mitchell as a songwriter. I think, I think, you know, she's kind of one of the greatest inspirations of all time in, in the fact that she, you know, she had, she had no issues with telling the truth. And you can imagine in the late 60s, early 70s, a woman speaking about giving up her child or speaking about sex or speaking about anything or speaking about being angry or frustrated or, you know, um, or just speaking about just the condition of life and being, you know, and humanity and people and the intricacies of them. I mean, you know, she's, she's really special in the way that she storytells um, and also the way that she wrote was very, um, it's almost like weaving rather than writing. And I love the way that her lines, she would have these beautiful run-on lines. So, you know, it's almost like she channeled her writing rather than, you know, she stuck it in a box and made it commercial. You have picked her album Blue as your favourite album. Why that particular album? This happens to be my favourite album of hers. I mean, you know, the songs in that album are are, are, are pretty incredible. Um, I suppose I love A Case of You. Uh, I really love that. I love, I, love, I love the dark and the light side of love in that song, you know, and the sort of, you know, the real, the real true look at um, a relationship, you know, um, you know, I could drink a case of you and I would still be on my feet, you know, it's like, you know, and it's, it's just how she speaks to him and how she talks to him. And it's, it's so incredibly honest. And a lot of the time, the way we paint love, it's like, it's just all glorious and we're all, you know, dancing among the stars and it's, and it's perfect. But actually what she actually uh, depicted in that is, you know, true actually a true experience of love for, for better or for worse or for good or for bad, you know? Um, and I, I find that very interesting because she really evokes pictures in your mind. It's almost like you can, you know, you're at the bar with her, you know, we're like, she's drawn on the, on the coaster, you know? I drew a map of Canada, you know? Um, I, you know, we see her face on it. It's like, it's incredible. Uh, 
her, her, the way her mind works is well, like... Let's hear a little beautiful. bit of the track that you've mentioned from Blue, A Case of You. Just before our love got lost, you said I am as constant as a northern star And I said, constantly in the darkness Where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar On the back of a cartoon coaster In a blue TV screen light I drew a map of Canada a case of you from her album Blue I believe as well Sharon Corr there's a connection between Joni Mitchell and your new album The Fool and the Scorpions There is the producer yeah um, Larry Klein produced um, this uh, new album of mine Um, it's uh, the wonderful thing actually I um, I was I was at this sort of evening event in 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 Madrid and uh, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Smith, he put on he put on this album. I was immediately caught by it, and it was uh, my one and only thrill, Melody Gardot. And I was like, wow, this album just is so organic. It sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, and I, you know, I left the party or whatever, and then I was in London doing a gig. I don't know, like a month later, and I thought about it again. And I went, who produced that album? So I looked, and of course, it was Larry Klein. And, you know, I'd just been listening to Larry so much, and 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 it just was like, you know, the dots were connected for me. So I uh, I called my manager and I said, uh, I, wanna, I, want, I wanna get in touch with Larry Klein. And so it's kind of like a cold call sort of situation, you know? Um, and, you know, I didn't know if he would take the call. I didn't know if he would be open and what type of person he was. I definitely knew what type of musician he was and, and you know, what he'd done. Um, and he actually responded immediately. And we were on the phone the next day, chatting away, got on like a house on fire. And then we just started, you know, I sent him three songs through. Basically, I, I, I mean, I have a recording studio now. I'm absolutely rubbish at using it. Um, but I, so I was recording, you know, like voice memos, you know, just me on live on, on piano and uh, vocal, my new song. So I just sent him three songs and um, I said, you know, see what you think of these, you know, and he loved them and he was in. He said, I'm in, I, w- I want to do this album. So we just, you know, we then recorded it in uh, Los Angeles in 2019 and that was a really super, super, super experience just a very incredibly musical experience great you know he played bass on the album it just it, it kind of felt like it was meant to be you know I worked off my instinct going well there's a reason I you know I heard this record there's a reason this record was put in front of me um so you know and then I just followed up with Larry and it 
it worked out, you know. Now, you mentioned, obviously, Joni Mitchell, your favourite singer. Favourite band. Let's hear a little bit of the police and every little thing she does is magic. Okay, why the police, Sharon Corr? Oh, I just think, you know, they sort of broke all the boundaries. I, I, just, I mean, I'm really mesmerised by Stuart Copeland's playing. I mean, his sort of uh, North African background, um, you know, lent something incredibly new to uh, the music that they, that they created. It, it, and the, the, the depth of uh, things, lyrics are, are, are you know, they're, they're really, really, really incredible. I love, I love your synchronicity. One and two are probably my favorite albums of the of the police, you know, and like King of Pain and Every Breath You Take, of course, is like an incredible song. Um, but I just, I, it just, it, it was, it, it was more about the rhythm for me. What the police did because it was like, you know, walking on the moon. I mean, you know, when he comes in on on Kit, it's like, it's like, it's it's so unexpected. You know, he was. Definitely breaking new territory, which which was what he was doing as a drummer. So that's something that I I really got a kick out of. Your first single that you remember buying is yeah. one, is we're going to play it and see if everyone else can remember Howard Jones. Nineteen eighty-three, Howard Jones. What do you remember of that, Sharon Corr? Well, you know, I was like thirteen, you know, and I remember going to the record store with my, you know, whatever it was, one one thirty or I don't, I don't, I don't know what it cost, you know, one punch thirty or something like that, and you know, finally been able to buy my own record. You know, it's like an amazing experience. Something that the kids are kind of missing out on nowadays. Although vinyl is making a great comeback. Um, so, I mean, I just loved it. It was like, it was such a precious thing to me, you know, picking through the records and, and being able to, you know, buy a record, bring it home and stick it on the turnstile. Uh, so yeah, it's just, just a special moment. And before we take the break, I want to do the best gig you remember attending. You have selected Steely Dan from the Beacon Theatre yeah. in New York. From when was that? Yeah. And why does Steely Dan stand out for you? Well, I mean, you know, it's uh, like, you know, Steely Dan is like just one of the, one of the greatest, you know, 
bands of all time and just you're talking about a musical intricacy on a level that's just deeply complex and it's also just you know incredibly enjoyable to listen to if you just even pull the backing vocals apart they're heaven absolutely heaven all the players involved you know donald fagan as a writer is just incredible the gig was actually 2018 um so it was the first time i ever got to see them and uh the drummer that I work with, Doug, is a good friend with the uh, their mixing engineer. So he got us tickets. I mean, they were coveted. These tickets were so hard to get. The theater was packed every single night full of musicians and really, really well-known musicians. Like all around us were just top musicians from around the world uh, because they are probably the, you know, the greatest band of all, of all time from a, from a, uh, from a you know musicality point of view, um, it's a real sort of fusion of sort of I don't know jazz and blues and sort of modern. It is it, it's pretty incredible. We have so, yeah from the Alive in America tour, the very well known track because of a certain TV program. This is reeling in the years. Steely Dan, a live version of Reeling in the Years. So let's move on to some of our other artistic favourites and let's go to movies, which also is linked to your favourite book. Well, actually, let's take your favourite book first. Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Why have you selected that? Oh, sure. I'm, a, I'm an incurable romantic, you know. I, I, you know, I love great literature and I, I love the way that Jane Austen wrote. Um, she certainly challenges the mind as she's writing in the the, the spoken English and it just really is, is very, very beautiful. It's very, the way it unravels is, is, is very beautiful to read. Um, but I kind of, I, I, you know, it's like, what I love about books and, and, and equally with albums, that's why I, I never like to over explain songs, is that if you, you know, just, you know, you put out an album or, or, you, or you write a story, the great thing is don't literally tell people what it means. Let them immerse their own life and their baggage into it. So you can become Elizabeth Bennet or you can become, you know, Matt, you know, you can be Dorsey, you know. <laughs> uh, and I just, I, you know, because you, we, too often nowadays we take away that opportunity and that mystery and, the, and, and, and that, that opportunity to immerse yourself into the book or into the record rather than have it literally explained and then, you know, and somebody makes a, you know, reality TV program about it, which would be, you know, from hell, you know. So it's, it's um, I, I just, I love the way the story unravels. I love reading about the times. It's kind of, it's a great way to, 
to see how the world works and to see how much it's come on or to see actually how much it's lost in some ways, you know. Um, but also, you know, it's it's very much a story. The story is about how it was for females to live. But Sharon, I'm interested, often when people love a book, they are worried about how it will translate as a movie. And yet you've picked it also as your favourite movie. Yeah, I, you know, it was, I mean, I've watched every version of it. I mean, I can tell you uh, a, a lot of times. I've probably read the book itself about 100 times. Um, it's, 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 for me as well, it, it's, it's, I mean, I read a lot of other writers like Gabriel Garcia Marquez and, you know, and then other, you know, more self-help stuff or empowerment stuff like Eckhart Tolle and, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, things like that. But this book is just escapism for me, you know. It's like I can escape into another era and it totally removes me from, you know, any troubles I have or my present situation. It allows you to sort of believe in beauty and, you know, fairy tales, romance. Well, we have a clip from one of the Pride and Prejudice movies. This is a more modern version and this scene, while arguing, Darcy, played by Matthew McFadden, known to many now as part of the Succession cast, he judges Elizabeth, played by Kira Knightley, uh, while she tells him he's the last man she would ever marry. No, there was, however, I have to admit, the matter of your family. Our want of connection. Mr Bingley didn't seem to vex no, himself about that. that. How, sir? It was the lack of propriety shown by your mother, your three younger sisters, even on occasion your father. Forgive me. You and your sister, I must exclude this. And what about Mr. Wickham? Mr. Wickham. What excuse can you give you, your behaviour towards him? You take an eager interest in that gentleman's He concerns. told me of his misfortunes. Oh, yes, his misfortunes have been very great indeed. You ruin his chances and yet you treat him with sarcasm. So this is your opinion of me. Thank you for explaining so fully. Perhaps these offences might have been overlooked had not your pride been hurt my by my pride. honesty and admitting scruples about our relationship. Could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your circumstances? And those are the words of a gentleman. From the first moment I met you, your arrogance and conceit, your selfish disdain for the feelings of others made me realise that you were the last man in the world I could ever be prevailed upon to marry. Pride and Prejudice. Sharon Court, your love of dialogue carries into one of your choices as favourite TV programme. You're the first person in a while who has gone back to the West Wing. Uh, why do you still yeah. go for the West Wing? Well, I mean, I haven't watched it in a long time. It's just, you know, when I would think, I, when I was thinking about, you know, TV programmes that 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 I really enjoyed, I mean, and there are, you know, there are, there are, there are certainly, you know, more current ones that I've really enjoyed, but but. You know, sometimes the writing's a little bit sketchy. I have to say, you know, in in, in more recent stuff, it's a, it's a little. I don't know. It's a little bit. You know, you don't need to lose your use your brain as much. I found the West Wing dialogue just so rapid that it was like it was like mind tennis. You you really had to keep up with it to understand it. I found Richard Schiff was a you know a you know very interesting character. Um, it, it just and then the sort of the workings of the White House was just, you know, incredible, you know, to watch. I think, I think maybe Aaron Sorkin is the is the is, is the writer. I'm not sure. Yes, hundred percent. I, I could be corrected on that. He is. He, he but, wrote um, most of the early yeah. early series anyway. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just the dialogue is awesome. The pace is 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 incredibly fast. The sort of connection between the characters, the way they sort of rub up against each other, 
you know, the way they have to get on. And even, you know, the sort of the, the woman in charge of press, she was amazing. You know? CJ, played uh, by Alison Janney, yes. CJ, yeah, great, and absolutely great actress. So um, I just, you know, it was, uh, it, it, again, it was, it, it was, it was really dialogue. I mean, I also ate the Sopranos. I mean, you know, it was like, it was like, you know, I didn't have children at the time. So if I put on one show, I'd watch 11. I mean, it was like serious, serious, <laughs> serious addiction going on there, you know. Well, we actually had David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, on last night's programme with us. And you'll get the opportunity to see his new movie, the prequel to The Sopranos, which uh, is starting from this weekend. But let's hear a little bit of The West Wing, in which Martin Sheen's President Bartlett consults his chief counsel, played by Oliver Platt, on the legal ramifications of not divulging his multiple sclerosis. There's a bad moon rising, Oliver. We both know it. They're going to take me out for a walk. This isn't what you signed up for. Leo begged you to take this job. This isn't what you signed up for. If you leave, I'd appreciate it if you did it now so it doesn't look like my lawyer bailed on me when the rain starts. No one's going to hold it against you. Well, I appreciate that, Mr. President. If I stay, will you do exactly what I tell you to do? I guess it depends. No, I'm afraid it can't depend, sir. What would my first step be? First, tell your staff. Yeah. Then, decide how to make a public announcement. Yeah. Then order the Attorney General to appoint a special prosecutor. Not just any special prosecutor. The most blood-spitting, Bartlett-hating Republican in the bar. He's going to have an unlimited budget and a staff like an army. The new slogan around here is going to be, bring it on. He's going to have access to every piece of paper you ever touched. If you invoke executive privilege one time, I'm gone. An assistant DA in Ducksworth wants to take your deposition, you're on the next plane. A freshman congressman wants your testimony, you'll sit in his kitchen. They want to drag you to The Hague and charge you with war crimes. What do we say? Bring it on. The West Wing. One final thing, Sharon Carr, I want to ask you about. Uh, you have also picked your favourite podcast, Three Little Words with John Cleese. And you had wanted to play a little bit of Monty Python um, as one of your TV favourites from growing up. But why are you still a fan of John Cleese? And what's the Three Little Words podcast? Uh, well, that's, um, that's, that's a podcast um, that was, uh, I think they developed it during uh, COVID, actually. Um, so it's, uh, it's a John, John Bishop and, uh, you know, the comedian. Oh, sorry, I was told uh, it was John Cleese. My apologies. No, 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 no. John Bishop developed it, and the other guy, I think, is Nicholas Putt, I think. And um, I'd like to get that correct. Hopefully, you can correct me on the other guy. I should have forgotten his name. It's dreadful. Um, I actually did this podcast with them last week as well. Um, so they have many, many, many uh, podcasts. And what the idea of the podcast is very, very interesting. You have to pick three words that, that, that uh, mean something to you, you know, like means something very, very, very special to you. So I, I, I picked truth, instinct and connotation. And then you have to pick uh, a word, uh, the word that you never want to hear again. Um, and I picked two words and it was uh, uh, the new, well, the new norm, basically. <laughs> and I said, what a pile of crap. I never want to hear that ever said again. Who, you know, the idea that there could be a new norm is just, I mean, it's a paradox. 
it makes absolutely no sense. It's like saying, you know, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. You know, it's like one of those sort of, you know, uh, uh, sort of people in power spin sort of tactics. So, but anyway, when I, before I went to do the podcast, I um, wanted to listen to it to see how it worked. Um, and I listened to John Cleese. Uh, and, you know, John Cleese, you know, he's like, he's just damn funny. And he's so clever, like Spike Milligan was as well. I mean, these guys were, you know, they, they, they're they so clever. It's incredible, you know, the way they twist around words and the, their knowledge of political systems and people and the way people work and and, and just it, the take that they get and everything. You like you you like you just constantly go, how did they go to there? You know, like you just go, wow, how did they get that? It's so funny. So, I mean, John Cleese was very, very, very interesting. It's super funny, but also pretty real as well. You know, it's like he, you know, he talks about his own life and his cats and loves his cats and stuff like that. So, um, it's it's a it's a pretty, pretty, really good podcast. There's many, many people on it. So okay, so it's three little words with John Bishop and Tony Pitts. You've been a guest. John Cleese has been a guest, and that's your recommendation as podcast. Look, we're out of time, unfortunately. Sharon Corr, thank you very much for joining us here in the program. Uh, best luck with your new album, The Fool and the Scorpion, which is released this week. And uh, thank you for taking the time to join us here on the Culture Club in the last word of today, FM. Absolute pleasure, Matt. Take care. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4 30.